a season uh, where we're looking at identity. And uh, who knows that identity and the issues surrounding that um, still occur, they're still present, despite whether we're in a, a good place or in a challenging place. In fact, these moments, I'd encourage us to think, you know, about even the question, who are you or who am I, when times are good? What does our character look like? What does our identity look like? How do we express that? Is it consistent? Who are we when we're under pressure? And it's okay. Like, often I fall very short between the two. But often it's in these tensions where we might be in a good place or in a difficult place or a challenging place where God is at work. He's at work in those tensions, forming us, shaping us. In Romans 8.29, it says, from the very beginning, God determined that we would become like his son. It's an identity transformation. And obviously, when we're going through the most difficult times in a season like we're experiencing at the moment, God is so present. He is so loving. He remains the same, it says, yesterday, today, and forever. It's we who can actually have questions maybe of ourselves or we can experience the pain or the highs and lows of life and at times we can feel like we're being thrown around but God isn't and that's the good thing. He is consistent. He is a firm foundation. We need to know when we're going through times of difficulty that God is still for you. He is absolutely for you. You are still his child. You are still saved by grace. You are loved, absolutely loved, even when the circumstances and the situations might, it might be tempting to look at them and think otherwise. We are loved. The assumption that we can make of ourselves And the reasons we might be in hardship are common to all of us. We're meaning-making beings. We, We attribute meaning to things instinctually. We think, well, because this is happening, it must mean that I've done something over here. But this is actually, it's a fallacy. God's logic doesn't work that way. And part of our identity formation is actually staying anchored to the truth in the midst of the storms of life. The assumptions that we can make for the reasons behind why things happen might be something like, I must have done something to deserve this. God must be punishing me. Or comparison, why don't others struggle the way that I do? These questions in the midst of Our experiences are common to all of us. And God's not up there saying, oh, you got it wrong again. No, he's he's working through that. He's bringing us around. And over the years, I've learned not to attribute meaning necessarily to the things that I'm going through, even when they're good things. It's good to hit a middle road and to realise that in life, you will have your highs and your lows, that 
that these things necessarily aren't indicative of what might be going on in our heart or of who God is and who we are in relation to him. These types of thinking, these three positions that I've just named, we see this type of faulty reasoning actually throughout the scriptures. I think about when Paul was bitten by the snake, uh, I think it was on Crete or an island nearby, in Acts 28.4. And the people are saying to each other, he's a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. People automatically go to the negative. Well, because he's been bitten, he must have done this. Then in the next breath, they're calling him a god. This is how fickle that we can be as humans. These are the types of layers that we bring and, and assumptions that we bring into our situations that are just not right. Or when Jesus denounces the thinking, when the, when the tower at Silo fell and killed 18 people, he didn't say, oh, well, they were, they were obviously sinners. He actually denounces that thinking and says, no. They were not more wicked, actually, than, than anyone else. Or again, Jesus refutes the thinking with the man born blind in John 9 2. Was it because of this man's sins or because of his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Or lastly, Job's friends, friends, counselling him and then turning on him and saying, well, Job, you must have sinned for all of these things to happen. It's actually faulty thinking. And God calls us out of that into a kingdom mindset where we can see that actually there's a, a lot of reasons why these things do happen. And as believers, we need to understand that when we encounter trials or blessings, there's a purpose behind all of it. And God can actually work it together for his good, it says in Romans 8.28. In fact, it says in Romans 8.28 that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and those that are called according to his purpose. And then it goes on in Romans 8.29 to say that we are being formed into the image of Christ. So there's a direct correlation often between the things that you and I might go through and the outcome of our lives being shaped into the nature of Christ. Some of the purpose behind maybe some of the things we may experience, there's just the simple reality of a broken system and a broken world. Sometimes things just happen that we don't expect or we're influenced by others who are acting out of their own brokenness and their own sin and we hurt one another. Sometimes these, that's just the way it is. There's the reality of an adversary and an accuser whose mandate is to kill, steal and destroy. We have spiritual opposition. There's the reality of sin and the consequences of actions like sowing and reaping, but also equally the reality of forgiveness and redemption with that. God does not leave us abandoned in our brokenness. There's the broader reality of God's timing for ultimate redemption of the earth and its people. 
The resounding answer in Scripture is that at the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death and that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Not our brokenness, not our sin, not someone else's sin. The temptation, the enemy comes in and accuses and tries to tempt us with those questions. You must have done something so that we remove ourselves from God's presence, but actually he is not like that. His arms are wide open. And ultimately, if we can hold that view, that God is working all things together for his good, for your good, we actually become part of the answer for holding back, resisting evil and sin and bringing heaven to earth, which is what Jesus prayed for. Let it be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. This is the reality. These are the dynamics that we live within and we need to contend to hold a simple view that says, God loves me despite what's happening. And what I've found is that these seasons give way to the will of God. We fight not flesh and blood, it says, but principalities and powers. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Exactly right, Stephen. I also want to say, and I just want to buffer this before we look at just the life of Job, actually, in particular, and I want to pull some points out. But not all hardship is necessarily suffering. There's an element where we, we live in a world where resilience is needed. And in no way am I talking about dire need, in no way am I talking about abject poverty, in no way am I talking about misfortune in its worst sense. But I'm wanting us to understand that God also calls us, when we think of trials or we think of things, that he's calling us into a place of resilience. I remember, um, and you may have heard of this, the example of uh, trees. I don't know if you know this, but trees without wind, without resistance, don't actually stand up, they fall over. And they've done studies where they've grown trees in zero gravity, I think, environments where, and there's this special fibre in the tree called stress wood. And without wind buffeting that tree, it wouldn't actually develop the stress wood and it wouldn't be able to stand upright. It would just fall dead over. And so there's an element in nature where God has kind of built in these lessons where, yes, you might come up against resistance, um, interpersonal issues, relationship issues, financial pressures. There's things that we encounter in life that cause us to grow, to develop stress wood. But then there's things that occur in the realm where you've got reoccurring patterns of pressure, reoccurring patterns where the enemy wants to drag you down. That's not of God. That's not of God. God wants us to be resilient and he will bring us through the things of life. But we are most definitely to to not promote the idea or to stand on the idea that somehow... God's will is for us to suffer abjectly because that is not. God may permit it for a time in order to bring us through and out the other side, but he does not will suffering. 
that is of the enemy. Let's have a look at the life of Job. Because I think Job represents for us someone who had a very fixed identity. Yeah, you know, a, a, a good solid identity will express itself in faith, will express itself in values, will express itself in behaviour that is consistent with that identity. And here's someone who had worked that out. He was successful. Job had um, the, the natural trappings of life and success. He was a businessman. He had cattle and sheep and donkeys, a large family, a big home, land. And yet he encounters suffering. And I think it's really important that we understand that actually God didn't have an issue with Job at all. In Job 1.8, let's read what it says. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. A man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. What an endorsement. Yeah. yeah, in Christ we are blameless, it says. Yeah, Christ took away our shame. We stand, actually, like Job, in Christ. We're blameless. We are people that, through Christ, experience God's love and favour. But notice here, in this passage, the enemy comes and actually ask questions of Job. And if you go on in that narrative, he's almost inciting God to, to move against Job in some way. And so Job, we know the story, he encountered loss of family, loss of friends, loss of resources and wealth, loss of health, a loss of his reputation. He was accused, excuse me, incorrectly and wrongly. There was a loss of quality of life. He was in pain and suffering. And the accuser and even his own wife tempted Job to curse God and die. And this is what's up for grabs. Here actually is our confession as believers. When we encounter hardship, are we only going to praise God in the good times? Or will we acknowledge him? And say, God, you are still my God, even in the hard times. But it says of Job, in all of this, Job 1.22, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. See, a, a believer that understands the dynamics of life, see, we live in the now, but not yet. This is the reality that we live in. We live in the now of Yes, I'm saved and I'm sanctified and I'm justified because of all that Jesus has done for me. But we haven't yet fully experienced the full redemption that is going to come when Christ returns and makes the world right. Yeah. We live in this tension where we are making, God is making our enemies, it says, fear and sin and death and poverty and these things that come against the world that we all experience at times until these things are made a footstool, it says, under Christ's feet. We live in the now, but not yet. We live in hope, 
and we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. God has not left us as orphans. He's not left us without his presence. We experienced that this morning. When you encounter God's peace, when you encounter his presence, the Bible says that's a pledge or a down payment of the nature of things to come. It's a foretaste. We have that now, so we can be sure that even though we go through the most difficult times, God is with us because his presence is with us. There is so much that we can bear up under if his presence is with us. Job even says within this passage that we're about to read, when he has refined me, I shall come forth as gold. So Job's aware. Don't know if you know this, but when you're smelting um, metals, there's this material that forms on the top called slag. And it's no good. It's the waste material. And you've got to scoop it off. And then you keep heating the metal and any bits of remaining um, materials that are, you know, um, not meant to be there, they, they rise to the top and it becomes this slag or dross. And it's this stuff that God's scraping out of our lives, the effects of sin and brokenness. God is at work. He is a good God. And he will not leave us in a place of suffering. But I think there's some things we can learn today from Job. Let's have a look at Job chapter 23. And here, you know, Job's had three friends that have come to give him counsel. They initially look like they're safe. They're mourning, they're weeping, they're standing with Job. They're looking like they're displaying all of the characteristics that a true friend would display. They're standing with him, they're empathising with him. But then it turns. And this is some of the thoughts that we get. We, we, we begin to judge things from a human perspective and we can ask those questions, like I said before, maybe it was me, maybe I did something. Sometimes just sitting in silence with someone is the best thing to do. Sometimes just being with someone and not passing judgment is the best thing to do when we're in times of distress, when we're suffering. And so here we have Job making a series of complaints against God, questions about his life. And these are normal things to do. God doesn't deny Job this right, in a sense. And we can all do that. When we've come into times of distress, we do ultimately ask the question, why? We don't often get an answer to that. It's more what, what should I do now that I'm in this place? We find ourselves in situations like Job because he was righteous, he'd done nothing wrong, the scriptures say. And yet he found an enemy coming against him. So it says, then Job spoke again. This is one of his speeches. There's a number of them. My complaint today is still a bitter one. And I try hard not to groan aloud. So here we have Job experiencing the bitterness, the bitterness of the situation that he's in. And he's acknowledging it. 
and he's trying hard not to complain, not to groan. Would you blame him after everything he'd been through? Crying out in hardship is normal. Asking the hard questions, even of God, is normal. God, why didn't you do something? God's big enough to hear it. He might have some questions of us, and he does of Job later on, but he works it all together for his good. My complaint today is still a bitter one, and I try hard not to groan aloud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No, he would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. Here we see, if only I knew where to find God. Often when we're in times of pain, when we're in times of distress, when we're experiencing opposition, we can lose all sense. God, where are you? Where am I? I was once in this place of favour where I knew the friendship of God, Job says elsewhere, in, in my house, but that's no more. Now, that wasn't true. It wasn't true, but that's how Job felt. And that's an important distinction for us to make. We may feel like God is far from us. Where do I find him? Where do I go? I'd plead my case, he says. It can be difficult for us Sometimes we're overwhelmed by our emotion, by our thoughts, by our pain. But God has not abandoned us. I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. Again, pain can conceal our senses. Our spiritual senses can be overshadowed. We're full of anything from adrenaline through to pressing thoughts and everything in between. I know there's been times in my life where I've been in great sorrow, I've experienced great difficulty and I've experienced this, in fact, even in recent times when I experienced burnout, significant burnout. I experienced these same things that Job did. Difficulty, where are you, God? Speak to me, Lord, I'm listening. And what I found is God had spoken and he's continued to speak. But it's us, we find it difficult at times to get our bearings, get our bearings. But he knows where I'm going and when he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. For I've stayed on God's paths. I have followed his ways and not turned aside. Hear the confession of Job here. When you're in hardship, we must surrender 
we must surrender to the sovereignty of God. It's easy when we're in a good place, in a buoyant place to say, well, God can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we can have a positive affirmation. It's a bit harder when you're finding yourself in the fog of the situation. But what Job does do, he surrenders. When David's family was taken from him, it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. This is what Job's doing here. He's strengthening himself in the Lord. And this is something that we can do. Often when I'm finding myself in times of difficulty, I come to God and I remember my testimony and I go right back. My first answered prayer was probably at about age five or six. God healed my feet profoundly. I won't mention what it was. It's a bit gross. I know Kay loves feet. <laughs> Joking. By the way, this is my good friend Kay. Say hi, everyone. Hi, She's um, from Queensland and um, we studied together for many years and um, incredible woman of God. It's so good to have you with us. But what I do is I go back and I recount and I've written them down. I've actually got a journal where I've written down every year. I've got my life scriptures and I go back and I remember and I recount the good things that God has done. And I encourage myself. I strengthen myself in the Lord. Because, you know, man does not live by bread alone, it says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We must encourage ourselves. We must strengthen ourselves. And Job does this. He surrenders to the sovereignty of God. In fact, let's read what it says in verse 12. I have not departed from his commands, but I've treasured his words more than my daily food. When you're in hardship, you must lean on the word of God. We've spoken in recent times about getting a rhema word. What does that look like? Recapturing God's voice through scripture, through the prophetic, and understanding what it's saying to us in the season that we are experiencing. God is not this distant, it's not a history lesson. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It's eternal. It's as present now in 2023 as it was at the beginning of creation. And you and I have been invited into it. Paul says that we have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says that we can know these things by the spirit that he's given us. So when we read the scriptures, there's a witness in us that goes, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it through. Because God has said this. And Job recognises this in the midst of his turmoil. Yeah. I've not departed from his commands, but I've treasured his words more than daily food. Remaining in the word of God. I've got a couple, and, the, and Ephesians 6.17 says that these words are like a sword, the sword of the spirit. We take up the rhema word of God and we fight in the midst of that. Sometimes fighting, you know, is just being still. 
in the presence of the Lord. It's not stirring yourself up. It's not kind of this giddy optimism. It's, it's just saying, Lord, here I am, your word says, and just being still and then waiting for him to act. But once he has made his decision, who can change his mind? Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me whatever he has planned. He controls my destiny. Job understands that the situation he's found himself in is outside of his control. Have you ever found that? You're in a situation that is outside your control. And so we see Job here going through in this passage the different aspects of his experience. And you and I are going to go through similar things. He actually ends here in this passage on a difficult note after having the word of God, after experiencing, you know, the rejection of his friends and the condemnation and the accusation, some terrible things are said to him about why he's lost his children, about why he's experiencing the pain and suffering that he's going through, all lies of the accuser. In fact, Job's three friends and the fourth, I think it's Bildad, take on the role of the accuser. You know, we see Jesus even experience this. Peter, someone who's close to him, who is a friend and will ultimately be turned around to serve the kingdom's purposes. Even Peter tries to dissuade Jesus from going on his mission. Judas outright stabs him in the back. We need to be discerning of who we allow in to speak into our lives when we're in times where we're vulnerable. Boundaries is going to be another topic that we'll look at around identity. But here Job's maintaining the best he can, his identity, saying, God, I know who you are. I'm standing on your word. But here in this last passage, he says, no wonder I'm so terrified in his presence. When I think of it, terror grips me. God has made me sick at heart. The Almighty has terrified me. Darkness is all around me. Thick, imperishable darkness is everywhere. Job's still struggling with his identity, with who God is in the midst of this. And it's okay, sometimes we lose sight of these things, but God is faithful to show himself in the midst of the darkness. We can struggle to maintain a consistent view of who God is and where we stand in relation to him, like Job. Now, the good news here is that Job didn't stay in that place. God did reveal himself. And we read in Job 42.7, it says, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Isn't that incredible? So even in Job's confusion and doubt, God's saying of him, you've still spoken accurately about me. And these friends of yours... I mean, we see the mercy of God. He says to Job, pray for them and I'll forgive them. Isn't that the ultimate test? When you're in hardship and even your close friends might think or suspect things of you or make accusations, God says, forgive, love, go the extra mile. And this is Job's experience. 
And it's the Lord says of him, you've been accurate in your assessment of me. Verse 12, it says, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life more than in the beginning. Sometimes you think my life's over. This can't get any worse. But God. There's always a but. But God. God is able to do above and beyond what we could ask, think or even imagine. Glocko made reference this morning to his and Lara's experience with almost losing a child. Coming so close. It's difficult, but God is able in the midst of all things to turn things around, to work all things together for good. Maybe not in the way that we would expect or hope for, but I know for Jervis this morning, or if you're experiencing any other kind of hardship, there were a number of us praying and we had an incredible insight as we were praying and we just kept getting this word revelation, um, Resurrection, resurrection, and it just dropped into my spirit with great joy that Jervis is living in Christ. He's alive in him. We move and have our being, it says. Jervis is in Christ. He is living. He is rescued. He is alive in God. Death is not the end for him. And hardship is not the end for us. Job says this in the midst of his plight. In Job 19, 25 to 27, he has a strong sense of hope. He says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Job is aware both in his present situation and in terms of end times that Christ, Christ is the answer. He is the redeemer. He is able to redeem our situations. I think it's significant that Jervis made a decision at such a young age to follow Christ. I had the privilege of standing with many of you and baptising Jervis and he was able to articulate his faith extremely well. He had a confident hope. He still would have faced the same temptations we all do, but he was walking it out. He was a little evangelist. He would tell others and his mother, his parents were so proud. But our Redeemer lives he is able to redeem. He's, to redeem is to buy something back, is to, to turn it around. Job saw Jesus Christ who redeems all people. You know, in Hebrews 9.12, it says, the blood of Christ redeems. It is ultimate redemption. Today, are we able to resist the faulty reasoning and accusation as children of God? Are we able to hold this space somewhat like Job? He looked forward to a Messiah. We have that Messiah. We live in the light of Christ. We live in the fruitfulness of the cross. We have full access to redemption. We have full access to hope and peace. 
my charge to all of us today is to fight the good fight. Resist the accuser. If you're finding yourself in a place of hardship, don't be tempted to say, well, I must have done something or God's judging me because of some hidden sin. No, he loves you. He is for you. He is for you and you are still his child. And this too will pass. These seasons will pass and give way to the blessings and the provision of God in the season ahead. Can I ask us to stand today?